What does it mean to be human? Fyodor Dostoevsky once wrote, Every ant knows the formula of its anthill. Every bee knows the formula of its beehive. They know it in their own way, not in our way. Only humankind does not know its formula. Well, what if knowing the formula of what it means to be human was as easy as listening to the creator of humanity? All right, well, good morning, South. I I can see already by the looks of your face, you're thinking, there's a stranger up there. Somebody get security. That's not Ryan. No, it's not Ryan. Uh, My name is Rodney Pennington, uh, and Ryan uh, has blessed me with the privilege of coming here this morning and sharing with you as we sort of conclude our look at the This Is Us series and uh, and how we relate that to the church as what we do and who we are. So this isn't a mistake at this point, but by the end of the sermon, they may be rethinking that. (laughs) This was a mistake, but no. So thank you. Over the past uh, couple weeks, Ryan has uh, introduced us to the church and how we relate to the church. We looked at how the church is a family. Uh, We are all a family. We're not perfect this side of heaven, but we are a family. We're in this together. And then last week, we looked at the church as the body. Uh, Everybody in here uh, is a different part of the body, and together we make up the whole. And we need each other because as the whole, we serve the community. We serve each other. Um, We serve in the kingdom of God. And then today we're going to look at the church as a voice. And our passage comes from 1 Peter 2, 9, and 10. But before we jump into that, I'd like to ask you to join me in prayer. Abba, we just thank you um, for this moment again. This moment to um, just come together, to open your word, and to, we pray, be blessed by your precious spirit and your truth. And so, Lord, as we um, spend this time together, Lord, guide us, lead us. Whatever distractions that might be in our minds in this moment, um, help us to just be focused so that we can um, really seek what it is that you're calling us to do. What, What does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be a part of this family, this body, and to be, be the voice? And so, Lord, we, we lift this before you. May this be your time. May it be glorifying to you. We ask all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We have all heard the saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can what? They never hurt me. We've probably taught it to our children, or maybe we were taught this when we were children. And we do it because one day, one day we know that um, there's going to come a time when somebody's going to come along in our lives and they're going to use words to, to hurt, to cause pain. And we hope that by uh, believing in this, somehow it'll give us the strength to overcome. And so, you know, on the schoolyard, somebody comes along and starts calling another child uh, ugly, you know, you're fat, you're four eyes, you're dummy, you're weird, whatever the kids call them, kids these days. On the other end of this, you have this other child that is, is receiving this. And this child is deep within their, their heart and their mind. They're, they're, they're repeating this over and over. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And then maybe they get the courage, just maybe they get the courage to get up and shout out, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me, and they run off. And the rest of the day they wear the mask 
They're brave. They can do this. But we know what happens when they get home. They come home. They run into the room, slam the door shut, jump into their bed, curl up, and they cry. Why? Because they know this isn't true. Everyone here knows that this isn't true as much as we desperately would love to believe that it is. But we know it's not because we have either been on the receiving end of words that hurt or we've been the one dishing them out. Words are powerful. Words are the most powerful way we have of expressing who we are and what we believe in the most, and its effects on other people can be devastating, can crush somebody's life, destroy relationships, cause somebody to lose hope, lose confidence, lose faith, and even doubt that life has any purpose at all. Or there's the opposite end. They can be uplifting. They can empower people to do things that they never thought possible. They can bring, bring truth into somebody's life. And they have the power to change the world. The Oxford English Dictionary has over 170,000 words recorded in it. But most people believe that in the English language, there's over a million words that we have at our disposal for either the positive or the negative. Somebody once said, the tongue has no bones, but is strong enough to break a heart. So be careful with the words, with your words. When I was preparing for this message and looking at what the Bible actually has to say about words, I found that there were just a few passages that the Bible actually has in it that talks about words in the positive sense and the negative sense as well as the power um, that they have. And some of them sound like this. Proverbs 16, where it says, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the taste, and health to the body. Or Proverbs 18, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Pretty powerful statements. Paul had a couple things to say about words. Like in Ephesians 4, where he says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may be beneficial, may be a benefit to those who listen. And then in Colossians 4, where he says, Let your conversations be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, like I said, the Bible has just a few passages in it about words, and I know some of you, are, you just love to take notes, and so I wrote the rest of them down for you. <laughs> so there's just a couple. So you might need to flip over your insert and use that, and go ahead, we got time. I'll wait. I know how you want this. Well, we got to move on. Here's the point. Our words have the power to change lives. Our words have the power to change lives. Peter was a man who understood the power of words and the influence that they have in both the positive and uplifting as well as the negative. Peter, uh, as we remember, the young disciple Peter was sort of the, he was sort of the self-appointed spokesman of the disciples. And he often used words 
um, to get himself into a bit of trouble. We can remember the time when um, Jesus was speaking of his death, his soon-to-come death. And Peter didn't like it, and so he takes Jesus aside and he rebukes him. And remember what, what Jesus said to him. He says, he says, get behind me, Satan. That's not always the thing you want to hear from somebody. That's harsh. There's also the time when Peter, um, as Jesus was arrested, he denied. He denied ever knowing Jesus. He didn't just deny Jesus three times he did, did, did this, but he also cursed and swore an oath that he does not know this man. Only later after the resurrection do we see Jesus coming back to Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter had a lot of growing pains. But as he went through this, God would eventually transform his life and use his voice to be the rock and the pillar that the early church needed. If you remember, it was Peter who stood up on the day of Pentecost and proclaimed the gospel to all those in Jerusalem, boldly proclaim it. It was Peter who would first take the gospel to the Gentiles. And even though he would be arrested, he would be beaten over and over, and he'd be told all the time to stop proclaiming in the name of Jesus, do not preach this message, it did not stop Peter. And at the time of this writing that we have in 1 Peter, this is probably towards the end of his life, and he and all the other Christians within the Roman Empire found themselves surrounded with the first massive this is massive, massive scale of horrifying persecution that the church had, the church had ever seen. Now, they had seen persecution before, but not on a scale like this. And it was because of this man, Nero. Nero was, um, he was a troubled individual, to say the least. Um, and he came from a very sort of troubled family. His mom had murdered and killed two of her husbands to get him in power, and then later Nero would end up killing his mom. Family conflict, we all know we've been there. <laughs> he had a problem. He didn't cross Nero, basically, or, or you're done with. Um, Nero also loved to build. He had a vision for Rome that he wanted to recreate Rome. Problem is, one of the areas where he wanted to rebuild this palace, he had this big vision for this huge palace he wanted to build. There was already people living there, and there's, there's stores and shops and all these things. And then, so by chance, for Nero, on July 18th, 64 AD, this area began to burn down. It burned for nine days, and 14 districts were burned. Totally destroyed Rome. Now, the Romans and the people in the Roman Empire, they knew Nero. And so automatically they're saying, he did this. This is, this is what Nero did. This is his fault. And so he needed an out, and he blamed the Christians. And he ordered the brutal persecution of them. And it was easy. It was easy for Rome to attack the Christians because they didn't like him anyway. They were different. They didn't fit in with what they were doing, and there was a lot of false teachings about their beliefs that were being spread around. And so men and women would be arrested, be beaten, be tortured, and they would be murdered. Some of them would hang on crosses. Many of them would be hung on poles, like in Nero's own garden, 
and lit alive so that at night people could walk through the gardens under the flame of burning Christians. They would be fed to the animals, torn limb from limb, just for entertainment. So here's the church spread throughout Northeast Asia Minor that Peter is writing to. Many of them were already disowned by their own families because they became Christians. And so their families said, you've given up on who you were, whether you were a Jew or a Gentile, it didn't matter. You've given up on who you were, so you're not part of our family anymore. These are the people that raised them, loved them, cared for them. They've lost their families. And now their own government is after them, hunting them down, imprisoning them, torturing them. So what do you do? What do you do when the world has turned against you and your identity? Everything that you once were is completely gone. So Peter, through the hand of Silas, who was his penman at this time, he writes. He writes to them. And he uses words of encouragement to let them know that their identity is not lost because what they are now is more than anything they ever could have been before. Because this is where he says, chapter 2, verse 9, here's who you are. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. Peter gives four points of identity change that happen within their life. And all four points were Old Testament terms that used to be directly related to the Israelites. And now, Peter directly associates them with the church. It is a beautiful and extremely powerful way of saying what God was doing during the Old Testament times. If you look back to Genesis 12, the time of Abraham, that he and his, his, his family become a blessing to the nations, that this is actually, all this is being fulfilled right here amongst you, the church. No longer are they welcomed in their own race, the nation that they were born into, and they're looked at as outcasts around them by the entire world. But Peter reminds them that what God has done for them is much more. He began to unpack this for them earlier in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, when he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a what? A new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. Peter is saying that by God's grace, Your salvation has been sealed in this new birth and you have received a living hope in Jesus Christ as well as an inheritance that is, it is an eternal reward. It is not something that can be given and taken away because it is protected by God. This is who you are. This is who you were born into. Four points of identity change. You were born 
through this new birth into a chosen race. You could literally translate this family, a chosen family. They haven't lost their family. This, the church, this is their family, is what Peter's saying. And the beautiful thing about this family is that it's made up of Christians from all over the world. Last week when Ryan took us through uh, the church's body, we looked into Revelation, and we saw that one day there will be every tribe, language, people, and nation, and they will be gathered in the glory of God and worshiping him. That's the church. It's part of a global family of every tribe, language, people, and nation that's chosen to be made alive together in Christ. They've also been born into a royal priesthood. Now the kings and the priests of the Old Testament, when they were working together, which didn't often happen that well, one of their main purposes was to point the nations to the one true God. And this, like I said, it, it didn't really happen all that much the way it was meant to happen. But now Peter is saying that this responsibility and this privilege, which was often abused and neglected in the Old Testament times, has been given over to the church. The church is part of a royal priesthood that is called to serve and reign with Jesus in his kingdom work. They, are also, they also have a new birth into a holy nation. The national identity of the church is Jesus Christ. And because of what Christ has done, this nation, unlike any other, is set apart from sin for God's glory. You see, the church is something special. It's unlike anything that the world has ever seen. And Peter understands that because of what God has done, we can turn away from sin, unlike what the other nations would do. He says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, 1, he says this, Rid yourself of all wickedness, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all slander. Again, you can do this because of what God has done. As the other nations, as the other nations will be turning towards their sin and gloating about it, the church turns away from sin. And you know what? They hate it. They hate it because the church is not like them. And all of this, all of this was given to them because they are a people for his possession. They are a prized possession of God. The world might not value the church, but in God's eyes, the church is everything. Church is everything. To think about the history of what God was doing and building towards to bring his church into his family, into this, this body, into this, this nation. It's, it's pretty amazing. And for those hearing these words for the first time, it must have been such incredible words of blessing and encouragement to keep pressing forward. Peter is telling them, you are not forgotten. Your identity has not been lost. 
You have a living hope, not in a false idol or in humanity. You have a living hope from the God of mercy who gave you a new birth through the, resur- through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful thing. You can almost hear Peter saying, do you see it? Do you see who you are? Look at the nations around you and what they're doing. And look at what God has brought you through and who he's building you into. Do you see it? And in the simplest way he could, he wraps it all up like this. You were once not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are God's people. That's who you are. So, what do you do with this? Knowing Peter's past life, we would think that, okay, this is, okay, we got who we are. The God of all creation has brought us into this incredible family. We've got him backing us, right? So Peter, what are we going to do? Knowing Peter's old life, we would think that he's going to write to us and he's going to tell us to pick up sticks and stones because we're going to break some bones. Blood's going to shed, right? I mean, think about it. He was the one that pulled out his sword. He was ready for a blood battle. Wasn't a great swordsman, remember? He went to kill somebody and all he did was nick his ear off. Kind of embarrassing. I mean, if he had friends like mine, like Rob, I would have never heard the end of that. Hey, remember that time you tried to kill that guy and nicked his ear off? Good job, man. We would think that this is what Peter's going to write to them. It's time to retaliate. It's time to go to battle. It's time to kill. But at this stage in his life, he knows better. And this is what he says to them. This is what you're to do. You're to proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What do we do, Peter? It's time to go to war, right? No. It's mind-boggling. It is absolutely mind-boggling to think that these words came from Peter. He does not call them to pick up weapons of war, but he calls them to use their words, and he calls them to do it in a way that we wouldn't think, especially living under these circumstances. We want to battle back, right? In chapter 3, this is what he says. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, Repay evil with a blessing. Because this is who you were called. This is you who, sorry, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. This has got to be the most frustrating thing in the world. Peter, they're killing us. They're killing us, literally killing us. What are we to do? Well, don't repay evil with evil. And don't, don't repay an insult with an insult. Wow, really? Yeah, what do we do? Well, we, we repay it with a blessing. All right, there's got to be more from Peter, right? 
He goes on. But set apart the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. That is who reigns in your heart. And always be ready to give a defense. Okay, here we go, right? This is it. We're going to give a defense and we're going to knock them out of the ballpark. We're going to crush them with our defense, right? Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks for the reasons for the hope that is in you. However, do this with what? What does he say? My goodness. It's just like, it just, he pops the balloon, right? To do this with gentleness and respect. Use your words with gentleness and respect. Unbelievable. It kind of makes you wonder if you remembered what Jesus said when he said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Peter understood that words are the most powerful weapon that we have. And he tells them to use their words to pierce the heart of their enemy with this marvelous light of Jesus Christ, but do so with words of blessing, gentleness, and respect. You see, Peter never looked at proclaiming what God has done, even under the harshest of conditions, the harshest of conditions, as a burden or as a way to bash others. Because he knew that it is a privilege to proclaim what God has done. I know what you're thinking. We filled out our notes. We're almost done. He's about to land the plane. <laughs> this plane's not landing anytime soon. <laughs> Here's the kicker. Everything that Peter is speaking to of the church here is also true of us today. Who they were is who we are today. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a prized possession of God. We are God's people. That's who we are. And God wants us to use our voice, just as he did with the early church, to proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And I do not believe within my lifetime that there has been a better opportunity to do this than the one that we have today, to stand and point people to the light. But I wonder how the world hears us. There are two connection points that we have within the world. The first connection point is those that we have direct contact with. You can literally reach out and touch them. It could be your wife, your children, 
other family members, friends, work colleagues, uh, etc. When these individuals that we have direct contact with think of our proclamation of the light in the darkness, what does it look like to them? Does it look like this? Like a bunch of sheep that just yell and scream at each other all the time. Yeah, on Sunday morning they look good. They're nice. They always say I'm doing well. But man, when they get in the car, it's on. (laughs) It all breaks down. What do they look at when they see the church? Are we always, leadership within our church, always fighting and bickering with neighborhood churches? Because we have a better theology than you do. We have a better preacher, better worship pastor. I don't know. What what does the world see when they see the church today? Are all they seeing is fighting sheep? The second connection point that we have is with those that we do not have direct contact with, but we can reach them. They're old friends from high school or that we grew up with or they're people that are from the other side of the world that we don't really know, but they wanted to be our friend and so they liked us and now they're part of our community. And we reach them through these types of ways. How do they hear our voice? Through email or Facebook, social media. I don't know if you're aware, but there was an election recently. <laughs> yeah, that's surprising. Um, this has been, this last election was the first one that my family and I had been back to for uh, quite a while because we were serving in Thailand for several years. And so when the elections would come around, we would cast our absentee ballot and didn't really get to be in the hustle and bustle of everyday life back here in the States during those times. But this time, wow, we were, we were uh, overfilled with joy because we did get to be a part of this. Um, we did. We, we, we went and we cast our ballot. Did our, uh, you know, we voted. We loved to vote. And um, yeah, leading up to the election, that was interesting. Um, the things that I was hearing and seeing. Uh, then the night of the election, uh, that was really interesting. Wow, a lot of surprises there. And then pretty much every day since, has been uh, quite an unusual thing to see. And listen, I get it. I understand from the world's perspective why they say and do the things that they do. But the thing that hurts me the most, deep, deep down inside, is the things I've been seeing from the church. From our brothers and sisters who have taken to means like social media in the name of Christianity, and said uh, some of the things that they have said, uh, I just couldn't believe it. And I'm not much of a writer, but for some reason the Spirit just was telling me, I need to write, I need to write. And so I wrote an article and sent it out. And it's called Hope for Tomorrow. And I'd like to read it for you today. On November 8, 2016, the eyes of the world watched as America began the final process of electing the new president of the United States. One man or one woman would be appointed the next leader of this great nation, and all eyes were keen to see who would stand and lead 
America into the future. On November 9, 2016, the world awoken, awakened to witness millions of people in celebration, praise, and relief, while millions of others were in anger, grief, and confusion. The next president of the United States was chosen. The reaction throughout the world, particularly in America, has exposed a sad reality of the true focus for where most people find hope. One individual with a special title for many has become the hope for tomorrow. And at their feet, doesn't matter who this person is, is where people's dreams have either come alive or they've come to die. Many celebrate in hope of their victor, while others weep in the loss of theirs. And at its core is the revelation of the painful illumination of what the human heart truly idolizes. News, social media, radio, etc. have given the world an opportunity to to witness what the human heart often tries to conceal. It's shameful reality of the idols that we believe in because of what we think they can or could have offered us. On display is the truth of who we really are. We've exposed the realities that our faith and hopes for tomorrow have been given to one person or lost in the other. In our pursuit of an idol, humanity has become lost in the wilderness of worldly endeavors and our ability to see light in the darkness is fading away. Our ears are no longer listening for truth and our passions revolve only around that which brings us personal achievement and pleasure. One man or one woman is believed to hold the keys of the future. And today you might believe this future is bright or you might believe that this future is gone. If your hope truly rests at the feet of a human with a special title, then I want to invite you to rethink this dangerous path that you're walking. No matter who won or lost, placing your hope in a human idol will ultimately lead to the surrender of everything that you were meant to be. Somebody once said that the two greatest days in your life are the day that you were born and the day that you found out why. You were born for something more than casting your faith at the feet of idols. You have a greater purpose in life that goes beyond what any human by lying and manipulating their way to worldly power can offer you. You are special in a way that goes beyond the color of your skin, culture, language, etc. because you are the child of the king of kings. To my unbelieving friends, I beg you to consider your life and where your hopes rest. I know the message of Christ is foolishness to you because I was once with you. There was a time that I lived for myself and my desires dictated my life. I too would have easily placed my hopes at the feet of an individual who I believed held my future because deep down inside I truly believed that they would would fulfill my hope for tomorrow. However, every time that happened I found nothing but disappointment. Because even when they won and I thought I did as well, they failed me and they left me behind. They walked away with my dreams and they crushed my hopes at their feet. However, all that changed when I stopped to realize the pointlessness of my actions, the pain that came from placing faith in humanity. In one incredible moment, my eyes and ears were open and I could hear for the first time truth. And it changed everything. My faith, hopes, and dreams are no longer shackled to an individual who will make a promise that they cannot fulfill. I've been set free from this pain. And this is why ultimately it does not matter who would assume the title of president because as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. (laughs) 
One of the most incredible things about the life of Jesus and the dedication he had in reaching out to the loving, it was reaching out and loving those who did not believe in him. He lived with them, he fed them, he taught them, he healed them, he ultimately gave his life for them. Why? Because in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that was created. Life was in him. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet darkness did not overcome it. John 1, 1 through 5. That light that shines in the darkness is for you. To lead you through the wilderness of worldly endeavors and free you from false idols and guide you to the one and only hope for humanity. You have a victor, and he can set you free. For my Christian brothers and sisters, I also beg you to consider your life and where your hopes rest. Many of you have fallen into the trap of elevating an idol to sit at the right hand of the one who sits on the throne. You have placed your ultimate hopes and your dreams at the feet of a false idol. You have forgotten your first love, and you use things like social media to express this truth in ways that are shameful to the name of Christ. You are called to be the salt and light of the earth, the light of the world, and yet many could assume you were anything but. The Apostle John cried out to the church, little children, guard yourself from idols. He said, do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love of the Father is not in him. For, if everything, for everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's lifestyle is not of the Father. It is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. I go on. Please listen to me. I am not proclaiming perfection in my own life in any way. I make mistakes. I am a sinner, and I admit that. This message is as much for you as it is for me. However, some of the things that I have seen and continue to see break my heart because by God's grace, I haven't fallen into the trap of elevating humanity over God, and by God's grace, I never will. In all my imperfections, I love Jesus Christ above all. I know that no matter who carries the title that offers great worldly power, Christ is the King of kings, and all of us who carry his name must live as lights in the darkness. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one hides a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. In the book of Revelation, John read a letter to the church of Ephesus. And I think that many, for many of us, the words written in this letter speak a powerful truth for us today. I have this against you. You have abandoned your first love. Remember then how far you have fallen and repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise I will come and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I believe that there are many out there who need to repent as they've lost their way in the pursuit of an idol. 
An individual with a special title has become your hope for tomorrow, and at this person's feet, your dreams rest. Little children, it is time to come home. It is time to guard yourself from false idols and be who you were created to be. Listen, and again, I am preaching to myself here. Whether it's the words that we use with our spouse, our children, our friends, family members, work colleagues, or if we take to social media, those words have power and they cannot be taken back. They could be the poison that kills somebody's soul or they could be the medicine that heals them. The living situations, the culture, the political landscape in Peter's day was, was vastly different than the one that we have right here in the, United, in the United States, but in other nations it's very, very similar. But the implications of who we are, church, and what we're called to do have not changed. We must know our identity. And we must tell people about the light. So I have a few closing thoughts. Where are we to be the voice? The first one is that I believe we need to proclaim this truth to ourselves. We need to be daily reminded that we are a child of God, not of this world. We've been given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are part of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are the prized possession of God. We are God's people, not the world's. And it might sound funny to say, oh, we got to tell ourselves every day who we are, but it's not. It's really biblical. I mean, Peter himself was writing to the church to say, this is who you are. Remember it. Remember who you are. Or else you're going to fall into the trap that the world wants you to fall into. To become a part of them and not stand apart from them. The Psalms, there's many Psalms where the psalmist wrote who they are facing great tragedy and hardships. Psalm 42 is a great one. Remind yourself who you are. Daily remind yourself who you are. It is such a beautiful thing to be a part of this incredible family. The next thing is to proclaim this truth to those that you have direct contact with. Again, family, friends, neighbors people that you can reach out and touch, but listen to me and please listen to me, please listen to me. Do it in love. It is not always about winning the argument, but it's about loving people and sharing the, 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 this hope that we have in Christ with them. I love what Dr. Shane Wood, Woods once wrote when he said, if you speak the truth of God, but you communicate it without the love of God, then it ceases to be the truth. It's powerful. It's powerful. 
So a couple ways to go about this, um, which I, would, I typically do, is just to you know, start a conversation. Ask questions to these people that you have direct links to. And, and I kid you not, it might mean that today you need to go home with your spouse and sit down and get to know each other again. Might have, it, it may have been a while. And just talk. Or maybe it's your children. Maybe the words that we've used. I've done this a million times. I just told somebody this morning, I said, hey, look, I've got the, I've got the yell at, I yell at my kids card too. Because it happens, man. I, I can lose it. And sometimes the best thing to do is sit down with them and talk to them. Hear them out. Get to know somebody. And listen to them. Listen to them. James 1, 19 through 20 says, Dearly, my dearly loved brothers, understand this. Everyone must be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. Quick to hear, but slow to speak. Man, how many times could we have benefited from that in our lives, right? You know, some people, they, we get wrapped up in this thing where we can't, we, we don't want to talk to people about the light that brought us out of the darkness because we don't know if we're going to have all the answers. And, you, and I tell you that one of the best answers is to tell somebody, I don't know the answer to that. Instead of making something up on the fly, it's great to say, I, you know, I don't know, but I'll, but I'll look into that. I'll look into that, and I'll get back with you. So that's become a hiccup for you. Don't worry about that. Just tell them, I don't know the answer to that. But I will look and get back with you on that. And like my mama used to tell me growing up in Oklahoma, if you ain't got nothing nice to say, then don't say anything at all. I'm a proud Oklahoma boy. It's true. Some of the, we, I know, especially for my life, the best thing that I can do when, when, the, when the passion starts to rear up and it's about to just explode, I need to just walk away. The best things to do is walk away. Don't write the email. Don't send the text message. Don't go posting on Facebook in anger. Take, step aside for a little while. Pray and, you know, cool down a bit. And then tell them about the love that you have for them because of what God's done for us. We have a loving God who gave his son for us. The last thing is take it to the world. Proclaim it to the world. That might mean some of you become missionaries. Now, you will go to a, another country and share Christ with others. Or you might go to a place where they've never even heard of the name of Jesus Christ. There's still over 2 billion people in this world that have never heard of Jesus Christ. Or you may support a missionary. Or, or the incredible thing is that what God has done is he's really, in many ways, brought the world to us today. What about international students or refugees? can reach out to them and be the voice.
And if you must go to social media, I put it in here because it connects to the world. Do it with words of blessing, gentleness, and respect. After uh, last week's message um, about the, the body, I went home and the evening came and I got two younger children. I have four total, the two, two younger ones. They always want me to come in at night and, and sing to them or else they can't go to sleep, sing Amazing Grace. And so I go in and I sing, sing to Boston, Amazing Grace, and then Eden's turn. Eden's five years old. And I sing to her Amazing Grace. And, and I just got into my head. I said, honey, and I do this every once in a while with the kids. I'll say, um, I'll say is daddy a good daddy? And Eden says, yeah, daddy, you're a great daddy. So okay. What, what could daddy do to be a better daddy in your eyes, Eden? She says, nothing, nothing. You don't, you don't need to do anything more. I said, okay, Eden, I need you to be honest with me. I said, what does daddy need to do in order to be a better daddy? And I kid you not, she takes that little precious hand, and she starts rubbing the side of my face, and she says this. Go and tell more people about Jesus. Go and tell more people about Jesus. Use our words, not as weapons, to destroy lives, but as blessings, with respect and gentleness. Church, it's time to go tell them of the mercy of God and tell them of his marvelous light. Remember who you are. And go tell the world. Will you pray with me? Father, we just thank you for this, again, this time. For your love and your mercy. Father, we thank you that we are part of this incredible family. Of every nation. Every people group. Every language. And part of this body that's called to come together to serve each other and serve in our communities. And we're not called to be sheep that just fight. But we're called to love and use the voice that you have given us to tell of this wonderful, marvelous light that has brought us out of the darkness. So Lord, as we go out, may you guide us May you lead us. May our lives and our voices be honoring to you and glorify what you've done by sending your son Jesus to die in our place, to take our sins and give us this new birth. We love you, and we ask all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you need prayer or you need someone to talk with you, we want to invite you to come up as our leaders come up so that we can spend some time in prayer with you and just talking through whatever it might be that you need someone to listen to you about. And church, as you go out, go out knowing who you are and sharing that light. God bless.